Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, REI. My name is Wilma Wallace, and I serve as your Chief Diversity and Social Impact Officer. I use she, her pronouns, and am speaking to you today from the traditional lands of the Ohlone people. This is a podcast that the outdoor brand REI put out this past February. I'm here chatting with Eric Arts, who serves the co-op and all of us as CEO. Eric, welcome. Well, thank you, Wilma. Thanks for hosting. It's on a website called Our REI, and it's an interview with their CEO. The chance to meet, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm speaking to you today from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples. It starts off with pronouns and land acknowledgments, and then it quickly pivots to its real purpose. Well, Eric, I I do know that one of the top questions that must be on people's minds is why REI doesn't think unionization is the right thing for the co-op or for the employees. Maybe you can speak a little to that. The Our REI podcast is about giving the company spin on a union drive that was brewing in a store in Lower Manhattan. So when people ask, why don't we support unions? My answer is simple. We do not oppose unions. It's that we don't believe, I do not believe, that introducing a union is the right thing for REI. For decades, it seemed like labor just couldn't win and that widespread union membership might be a thing of the past. But lately, organized labor has been having a real moment. Union membership is still nowhere near the levels that it was in the 50s and 60s. But if you've gotten the sense that more people are trying to unionize their workplaces right now, that's true. Union campaigns are way up this year. The most visible of them coming from workers at giant corporations like Amazon, Starbucks, and the Apple Store. And also at places like REI, a company that's made progressive politics a point of pride. Companies that are mission-driven, like the New York Times or the Philadelphia Art Museum. Plant-based food brand Amy's Kitchen. And for the most part, these corporations all react the same, by trying to stop the union. Just for some of them, it's wrapped up in new language that tries to square being anti-union with their supposedly progressive values. A big part of what unions exist to do is to speak for employees where and when they don't have a voice. The very essence of a co-op is actually contrary to that, because in a co-op, we turn towards one another. You might even be hearing these same talking points at your job. So think of this episode as a guide to help you spot union busting in your own workplace. So that if you're hearing these things from your boss, you'll be able to see through the bullshit. We do not believe unions are in the best interest of our customers, our shareholders, or most importantly, our associates. That's a problem for the union business. That's right. I said business. Union business. Unions are important and valuable. A union is not a charity, it's not a club, and it's not part of the government. It's a business that has to take in money to survive. And they play a vital role in supporting the rights of workers across many workplaces, companies, and industries. 
So you're saying to vote no. So you're union busting. You're union busting. You're telling the entire class to vote no. No, I cannot. You're telling the whole class to vote no. So you're union busting. So then ask me to leave. Okay. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm your host, Ariel Zumros. And I'm Jen Kinney. I'm a producer on this show. So, Jen, you're in a union, right? I am in a union. Uh, I'm in the Writers Guild of America East, which a lot of us here at Vice are. And before that, I was at WHYY, the public radio station in Philadelphia, while my colleagues there were trying to unionize. And how did that work out? You know, honestly, it was really interesting to watch and to be a part of. Uh, It was a lot of work for my friends and colleagues. You know, they had to go around and talk to people to make sure that if there was a vote to unionize, they would vote yes. And then they took a petition to a WHYY executive and stated our intentions to join the union SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Kind of a mouthful. WHYY had a choice at that moment. They could have said, we recognize the union voluntarily and just started bargaining towards a contract. But it sounds like they didn't do that. They did not do that. They said, we're going to take this to a vote. Okay, and and then what happened? There were a pretty tense couple of weeks after that. Um, WHYY management at times was trying to discourage the union campaign. WHYY says that they simply tried to educate workers about what a union would mean. You know, and then we had the vote. We cast our ballots and nearly 100 percent of people voted to join the union. We had just one no vote. Wow. So we joined SAG-AFTRA. It was this really emotional moment. It felt great. We had wanted a union because we hoped it would help with things like low salaries, lackluster benefits, all of which was leading to really high turnover. But organizing the union was also a lot of work for my friends and colleagues. It took a lot of time. There was sometimes bad blood between management and employees. When the station always had the choice to recognize the union voluntarily. But in the U.S., many companies and even nonprofit public radio stations just don't do this. They try to stop labor organizing. They union bust. We are not anti-union. But we are not neutral either. So starting off the guide here at Chapter 1, what is union busting? We do not believe unions are in the best interest of our customers, our shareholders, or most importantly, our associates. Union busting is when a corporation tries to stop a union campaign. It is critical that we recognize the early warning signs of potential organizing and escalate concerns promptly. Or they proactively try to stop workers from organizing one. The most obvious signs would include use of words associated with unions or union-led movements like living wage or steward. This is a video made by Amazon that was shared with managers at Whole Foods, also Amazon-owned. It's an animation of this little cartoon guy in a warehouse. Our business model is built upon speed, innovation, and customer obsession, things that are generally not associated with unions. Union busting can take many forms, and Amazon deployed a full arsenal of tactics against warehouse JFK-8 on Staten Island when workers there were unionizing. 
Amazon sort of deployed the staggering amount of anti-union propaganda in its warehouses. So there are posters and bathroom stalls, flyers all over the place on monitors. This is Lauren Kaori Gurley. She reports on labor for Vice's motherboard, and she's been covering labor organizing at Amazon for nearly three years. They sent workers daily text messages. They put notifications on their sort of worker app. Um, They made phone calls. Gosh, what else did they do? They posted ads on Instagram and Facebook. They just bombarded workers with anti-union rhetoric, and the message was basically vote no. The Amazon labor union was already fighting uphill against some serious odds. No warehouse had unionized at Amazon before, and the workers were doing this independently without the backing of a major union. Amazon threw everything that they had at workers to try and crush the union. In Staten Island, Amazon started out by bringing in professional union busting or in the lingo that they use, union avoidance consultants who are paid thousands of dollars a day to convince workers to vote against the union. So they pulled workers aside for sort of one-on-one meetings. A lot of times it's racialized, so you'll have like Latino union busters targeting Latinx workers and white union busters targeting white workers and sort of using different rhetoric that they think will resonate with workers, often pitting workers against each other. Amazon spent at least $4 million in 2021 just hiring those union avoidance consultants. We don't know how much more they spent on their entire anti-union campaign. And Amazon management lost. Uh, we, we got the juggler. We went for the juggler. JFK 8 became the first unionized Amazon warehouse. This is one of the most like breathtaking and wild labor victories in U.S. history from the past 50 years. <laughs> and we went for the top dog because we want every other industry, every other uh, business to know that uh, things have changed. But then, just a month later... Workers at the LDJ5 sorting center are weighing whether to join the Amazon labor union. Another union effort at a different Amazon location on Staten Island failed. Amazon workers have voted not to unionize a second Staten Island warehouse location. So workers are winning elections in famously anti-union places, but union busting continues to be very effective. Which brings us to chapter two. Labor changes, but union busting stays the same. One of the striking things about anti-union efforts, and some people call them union-busting efforts, is in many ways how little they've changed in the past 40 years. I talked to Stephen Greenhouse. He's a journalist who's covered labor for almost 30 years. So he's seen the rise and fall, mostly the fall, of union power over the last few decades. It's like so many companies see unions as illegitimate, as the enemy, as a nuisance that they seek to crush. Back in 1954, the peak year of union enrollment in the United States, almost 35% of workers were in a union. Today, that number is about 10%. Many of those workers are government employees. Of course, labor and management have rarely, if ever, gotten along. But Stephen says something really shifted in the 1980s. Wall Street and hedge funds put far more pressure on companies to maximize profits and maximize share prices, which meant fight much harder, try much harder to hold down wage costs, and that often translated into fighting far more against unions. So many companies have done everything they could to get rid of unions, to make life difficult unions, to, you know, to crush any unionization efforts. You've made a great choice to work for Walmart, and we're glad you're here. 
But the reality is, you're not the only one looking to get your foot in the door at Walmart. I found these training videos put out by Target, Walmart, Kmart. Labor unions are really interested in Walmart and have spent millions of dollars specifically focused on us. The companies claim that unions constrain their ability to hire and fire people, that a union contract could affect who gets raises and promotions and when. The truth is, unions are businesses. That unions are in it for themselves. Multi-million dollar businesses that make their money by convincing people like you and me to give them a part of our paychecks. That you have to pay dues to be in a union. Having a union at Target might benefit the union because they could collect your dues. Which is true. Some of what these companies say is true, but a lot of it comes down to the framing. At the end of the day, unions do provide tangible benefits to workers, including higher wages. And that means costs for companies, which is part of why companies fight them. Refuse to sign and keep Target union free. Chapter 3. With all these perks, you don't need a union. I think our track record as a team and as a company shows that you can trust us and that you don't have to pay an outside organization to speak on your behalf. We already believe that all of your voices are powerful. It's just so weird that these companies that are being very anti-union don't want to admit that they're being anti-union. Again, reporter Stephen Greenhouse. These, you know, a lot of companies realize that it makes them look bad to admit that they're anti-union. They worry that that will alienate workers. Take somewhere like Starbucks, where employees have formed their own union, Starbucks Workers United, and dozens of stores across the country have voted to join. Former CEO Howard Schultz recently returned to the company, and he's been traveling around the country talking to workers about all the wonderful things Starbucks has done for them without a union. I love this company. I feel a huge, deep responsibility to the partners and their families, not only here, but around the world. Healthcare, sometimes tuition assistance, which is true. Starbucks does do those things. The first company in America to offer free college tuition for every single employee who wants it. Free! After stores started organizing, Starbucks also announced this new perk. They say they will soon allow customers to tip on credit card orders, which is something that the union has been asking for. But Starbucks is only introducing this at stores that have not joined the union. You could see this as Starbucks offering a carrot instead of a stick. Starbucks, though, says it lacks the authority to offer employees this perk in stores that have unionized. Starbucks Workers United disputes this. And yet, Howard Schultz has insisted that he's not anti-union, but rather pro-Starbucks. I mean, like, if you're not anti-union, you accept the union, you don't fight the union. They're trying to fight a union, but like Soto Voce make believe that they're not anti-union while they're like quietly being, you know, the uh, iron fist in the velvet glove. In these union-busting campaigns, companies have nearly every advantage. They have the money, they have the access to their workers on the clock, they have the threat of unemployment. But workers have one big advantage, and that is just how fantastically uncreative the people trying to crush these unions are. The anti-union consultants, the anti-union lawyers, they basically have their, their playbook. Workers have been hearing the same bullshit for decades. Which means it is really easy to see through, if you know how to spot it. That's after the break. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Jen, you were taking us through this guide to spotting union busting. Where did we leave off? So we have talked about what union busting is, like big picture. Now I want to talk about the specific and very predictable things that management is likely to say during a union drive. So the rest of our guide comes in the form of a little game. Okay, so I have this bingo card that you gave me. Walk me through it. Each square has a union busting talking point. And I have this hopper here as audio from companies that are trying to fight unions. A union would be a terrible thing for you. We put this bingo card on social media so you can find it, play along while you listen. All right, so let's play. So I'm seeing in the middle, I have an unfree space. Yes. So any bingo card has a free space in the middle. And in this case, we have an unfree space. Because usually the first thing that employers will do is hold mandatory meetings with workers. We've got almost everybody here, so we'll get started. Hi, everybody. These are known as captive audience meetings. Thank you guys for taking a few minutes out of the busy day to get together. This is audio from a meeting at a company called No Evil Foods. And you're going to hear a lot of this meeting because it plays out like an album of anti-union greatest hits. Workers at No Evil Foods started a union drive in 2019. And an employee there recorded this captive audience meeting and then sent it to our colleagues at Motherboard. No Evil Foods is a vegan meat substitute company with a kind of socialism-themed branding. They have a fake chicken called Comrade Cluck, and they used to have a soy chorizo called El Zapatista. But today I need to discuss something that has important legal implications for our company and our future. The founders are a married couple, and they're at the front of this room, and one of them, Mike Wolanski, is speaking to the employees. Wolanski talks about how he and his partner, Sadra started the company at home, in their own kitchen, and all the hard work that they've put into it. And so, he says, they want workers to be informed about the union drive. This is your call. We will not stand in the way of your decision, and we fully respect your legal rights. But if an election is going to happen here, we want you to understand exactly what that means. This is a pretty typical captive audience meeting. Sometimes they happen in groups like this. Sometimes they're one-on-one. They can be brief, or they can go on for hours. 
But what they have in common is that employees don't have a choice about whether they want to listen to their employer's anti-union stance. So, unfree space. I've got a chip on it. Roll the hopper. Okay, first bingo square is... Unions just aren't right for us. So let's be honest. Unions can be a good thing. This is still no evil foods. And they don't seem like the kind of company to just straight up say, fuck unions. So what they do is they reassure workers. We respect your right to organize. We support unions. They're just not right for you. Our company supports organized labor where it's needed. And we think it's absolutely critical that all employees have a voice in the workplace. But we didn't want to go into this without understanding what it meant, how it could affect our jobs, and how unions operate. This can come with the assumption that unions are only for blue-collar workers. But workers in all kinds of sectors can benefit from unions. A union just means that employees can collectively make demands of their workplace. All right, on to the next. Next up, my dad was in a union. Let me start by saying unions are important and valuable, and they play a vital role in supporting the rights of workers across many workplaces, companies, and industries. This one was demonstrated beautifully in that REI podcast. My father was a teacher in a teacher's union and led the union when I was a teenager, and I have experienced unions in other businesses and sectors that I have served. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah, this one is so immediately insincere, you know, Why would a union be right for your dad, but not right for us? Right. Okay, so spin the hopper. Next up, third-partying the union. This is when the company tries to paint the union as an outside organization that's coming in and trying to control workers. I believe a union would pit us as adversaries when we absolutely don't need to be that they're going to stand between the worker and the company. I think we've proven that we've always been on your side and we've always fought for you. It's upsetting that a union is trying to pay us out to be enemies. Again, no evil foods. You can hear them trying to create this distinction between the union and the workers. When in fact, if it's run the right way, the union is not a third party. It is made up of the workers themselves. Right. Like, they might have the support of a professional union, but the work of organizing comes from the employees themselves, and they are the ones who make up the union. Next up, great benefits you've got. It would be a shame if something happened to them. I don't believe a union negotiating for you is going to do better than we already want to do for you. We've added 10 paid holidays to our schedule. No Evil Foods CEO talked about their healthcare plan, the great snacks that they offer. Continue to increase the size and quality of our snack program. Oh no, not the snack program. Awesome coffee that also benefits animal welfare organizations. Yes, that one might seem minor, but sometimes these can be really significant benefits like healthcare, tuition assistance, things that actually matter to employees. Nothing that you have right now in terms of wages or benefits is set in stone. It could all change during this bargaining. Which leads us to our next talking point. Your wages could actually go down if you unionize. You could get more than what you currently have. You could get the same thing that you currently have. You could get less than you currently have. Some employers are even more aggressive, warning that workers could go back to minimum wage. Of course, that's really scary. I can imagine. Are workers actually at risk of ending up with less than when they started before a union drive? 
Great question. And ding, 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 ding. You have found a special square in our bingo game. You've hit the union premium. Oh, good. So this talking point sounds really scary, but there is a lot of research into this. And what it shows is that not only do workers tend not to lose wages or benefits, they actually tend to get better of both than their non-union counterparts. This is known as the union premium. According to the Economic Policy Institute, which is a left-leaning think tank, unionized workers have salaries that are on average 10% higher than their non-union counterparts. In fact, studies show that unions improve wages for all workers, not just workers in unions. Which makes sense, because if you have some workers in an industry making more money, it's going to raise the floor for everyone. Right, exactly. Next up, unions are bad for business. Right. I've heard companies say that they could go out of business because they can't afford to pay what the workers are asking for. Exactly. They will say things like, our company will be less productive. We're going to be less profitable. We will be less competitive. And I think that this one actually has a really interesting counterpoint because, you know, a lot of the other ones we talked about, they're just not true. But this one has a bit of truth to it. A lot of the times that is the point of unionizing. Again, Motherboard's Lauren Kaori Gurley. Workers unionize all the time because they're having productivity squeezed out of them at a rate that isn't humane or that is leading to injuries or that is leading to burnout. When workers are organizing, part of what they're saying is we're cool with this company being a bit less profitable if it means that the value that we create is coming back to us. Overall, we're okay with the company being less profitable because we want to slow down. If we slowed down a bit like, and hired more workers, it would be more expensive for you, but like, you can afford it. Oh, wait, 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 Jen, I have to stop you um, because I need to say something, which is bingo. Bingo. (laughs) Congratulations. You are fully prepared to see through your boss's bullshit. (laughs) Uh, I got to ask, what do I win? Oh, well, uh, you win. I guess we didn't think that far. (laughs) Hopefully you win a union. (laughs) Okay, but there are still several other spots here on my bingo card. Let's just go through them. Yes, very quickly. There are lots of other things that companies do to try and stop a union drive. Right. So like, for instance, companies can bring in additional managers to put pressure on workers or they can reduce employees hours so that they don't qualify to join the union anymore. On the other hand, companies can hire workers en masse, workers who might be less invested, less likely to vote for a union in order to dilute the voting bloc. And I know that companies sometimes fire employees who are involved in labor organizing. And I've kind of always wondered, like, is that legal? Uh, It's totally illegal, which is why companies often have to come up with arbitrary reasons for the firings. Like Starbucks recently let someone go because they allegedly broke a sink. Starbucks said that they broke it on purpose. Despite being illegal, though, firing organizers is one of the most effective tools that companies have. It can immediately derail a campaign, and it has a chilling effect on future organizing. That's what I was wondering, right? Like the talking points in our bingo card, these illegal tactics, do they work? Do they stop workers from joining and forming unions? Yeah, I mean, in short, they do. One union avoidance consulting firm is so confident in these methods that they've offered a 100% money-back guarantee in the event of a union victory. Wow. And overall, these firms claim that they are successful 90 to 95% of the time. 
that's probably exaggerated, but it's still significant. They work often. That is part of why these tactics have stayed so similar for so long. They work. I don't think this is who you want to align yourself with. Hitching your wagon to a huge organization with high-paid executives and a history of scandal and supporting slaughterhouses. They worked at No Evil Foods. And if there is a union election here, we ask you to vote no. The second point I want to... I talked to some former workers at No Evil Foods. They said that they had really liked their jobs. They had good pay, good benefits. They were seeking a union mainly because they wanted job security. And they were surprised by management's reaction to their campaign. These workers said that over the course of just a few weeks leading up to the union vote in 2020, management held about half a dozen of these captive audience meetings. Things got really tense. And then the employees voted, and the union lost, big time, almost three to one. The workers I talked to thought those captive audience meetings were a significant factor in convincing people to vote no. No Evil Foods management disagreed. But regardless, the campaign failed. So what happened? So after the vote, No Evil Foods fired several of the union organizers. Though No Evil Foods management says that this was not because of labor organizing. And then the company laid off most of their staff towards the start of the pandemic. They ultimately shut down the facility that had tried to unionize, and they outsourced production to another state, to a factory that also produces beef jerky. We've talked about how union busting has remained really consistent over time, but labor organizing seems to be going through something new, some some kind of renewed energy. Yeah, I mean, histories will absolutely be written about this moment in American labor. People are coming up with new tactics to unionize their workplaces. They're returning to tactics from the more militantly pro-labor period in like the 30s and 40s. And at least for the time being, the National Labor Relations Board actually seems to be meeting this moment pretty well. Uh, Their leadership, according to people who follow this, is as pro-labor right now as it's been in like almost 100 years. So recently, the NLRB has signaled that they might start cracking down on captive audience meetings. The top lawyer has written that workers should not be forced to listen to anti-union rhetoric on the clock. Could that make a difference? Lauren and Stephen told me that they definitely thought that it could cut down on the amount of intimidation that employees feel in these meetings that could lead to more union successes. It would be really hard to enforce getting rid of these meetings, but it does sound like it could have a major impact going forward. So maybe the next time that we play this game, there will no longer be an unfree space. But I'm sure that there will always be new tactics to replace it. Vice News Reports reached out to WHYY, Amazon, Starbucks, No Evil Foods, and REI. REI did not respond. Amazon, Starbucks, and WHYY all basically said the same thing, that their employees have a right to unionize and that their organizations held educational or informational sessions and had conversations with employees about the union and what it would mean for them. Starbucks also denied firing employees for labor organizing, saying that no one is exempt from following Starbucks policies, which the company says they enforce consistently. And No Evil Food CEO Sadra Shadell told us in a comment, quote, There are times over the past eight years of building this company from the ground up that I nailed it, and there are times I haven't. 
The most difficult thing about being a leader who has influence over the lives of others is that sometimes you will get things wrong, end quote. But Shadell continued, quote, Ultimately, I believe the outcome of the vote against union representation would have been the same. Special thanks to Emmanuel Myberg, Jason Kebler, Paul Blessed, and John A. Logan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Casis, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek, Sam Greenspan, and Stephanie Kariuki. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Mixing by Evan Sutton. Our executive producer is Adiza Egan. And the VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Catherine Barner. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zumros. If you could take the time to rate and review our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that would be really great because it really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. <laughs>